Ooh, the golden stallion, the man of tomorrow. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Let me do that again. Woo! The golden stallion. <laughs> Give me a little extra. I don't know the woo. I mean, you know, Ric Flair used to do that too, but you got to give it the classic woo. You got to let it rip. You know what I mean? So anyway, woo. Uh, wow. What a, what a week it's been. Let's put it that way. Uh, getting really excited. Of course, not, not much further away, almost uh, exactly a week away from the start of Liberty Forum, which of course myself and the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy will be at. Um, you know, I've had people, it is time for your Patreon Wednesday, uh, Patreon only Wednesday Q and a, by the way. Um, and I have been asked if there is going to be any kind of meetup or anything at Liberty Forum for Sovereign Tech listeners. Uh, not not really. Like, I mean, there's going to be dinners and all this other stuff, and there's plenty of people holding things, and you know, they they can go right ahead. Um, I'm still, I'll admit, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about holding some kind of like mini Sovereign Tech conference at Porkfest, um, which I will also be speaking at, by the way. Uh, and some may perhaps some other interesting stuff as well going on there. Um, but anyway, I think I, I think it's safe for me to announce that. If anything, I only said it on Patreon and <laughs> I'm OK. <laughs> but uh, uh, total thanks. Got to got to go out to, of course, uh, the man behind the Lava Flow podcast and the uh, Resist the Empire podcast. And, you know, so many great things. Roger Paxton uh, really has, uh, you know, just a tremendous guy that's that's made a lot of this stuff possible. So if you're not already a fan of him, let me tell you, I am and you need to be. So there you go. Anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, so I'm still like half thinking of doing like a mini Savcon, like I said, at Porkfest or something. I mean, like in the back of my mind, I don't know. I'm not prepared to like, and and I have so many projects uh, that need to get finished. Um, I mean, so many projects that need to get finished. There's the 2018 edition of the Dark Android book that has to come out. Um, there's just there's there's a lot of things going on. So uh, you know, all of which are very exciting. All of which are are you know I love doing. Um, not complaining there. Uh, but, you know, I mean, and, and I do other work also that, you know, pays the bills. So <laughs> uh, so plenty, plenty to make happen anyway. Um, you know, really, if if there were any grand goal right now with Sovereign Tech, you know, I'm trying to bring on more listeners. I'm very pleased with the amount of listeners that we have. Um, and I say we because I really consider, you know, patrons to be executive producers of the show. Um. I'd really love to, I mean, the main thing that I could see going is just increasing like the amount of patrons, you know, I want, like, I, I think some of the best content that I do and that some of the other people involved with the show do, uh, really comes out on Patreon, you know, like I say, the life, you know, the life changing or threatening or whatever stuff that needs to get talked about every week that will always be out in a sovereign tech prime episode every single time. Um, but you know, I think some of the fun and interesting and maybe life-changing shit, you know, will, will does come out on Patreon only and some of the best episodes and some of the most fun, uh, certainly that I have does. In fact, like if you didn't listen to, I think I said this, the, I don't know if I said this the other day, if you didn't listen to part four and part five, listen to all four, all five parts. But if you didn't listen to the, our, our hentai review for, um, for Fencer Minerva that Stephanie and I did. Oh man, was that a lot of fun? <laughs> oh, it's the good shit. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So one of the goals I'd really love for sovereign tech or, you know, one of the things that I'm really pushing for is I, I want to get more people, um, on board. I mean, you're already here, so don't worry, but I want to get more people on board as patrons um, of the show. Uh, and, 
Uh, yes, this week we'll be starting, and I already got questions in, we will be starting the public Q&A that will appear in every Sovereign Tech Prime episode, at least for the foreseeable future. But that again, that doesn't take away from the private Q&A that you get right here. Okay, um, and that will always be where your questions will get asked or will get answered first, because um, I'll probably only be able to get to one, maybe two questions. Granted, it seems like I only get to one or two questions on the, you know, on the Patreon Q&A as well. Um, but we'll see. And and if it's something that's like, well, anyway, you know, I already asked the permission of you, the patrons, if it was OK, if we did a public Q&A again and you said it was fine. So. No need to, you know, to really banty about uh, on that. You know, you just you're always going to have this this more exclusive access, um, you know, to to technical things and, you know, my thoughts on just about anything. And you can take absolute control and I will get to your questions. Um, and of course, you you will be the only ones that get the relationship rhombus show and all of this. Uh, so lots of lots of fun shit going on. Lots of cool stuff. And thank you to everybody for all the response and uh, feedback that you give me. Feedback that I get from the patrons is so important. If there's stuff you don't like going on with people patreon let me know if there's stuff you don't like going on with the prime show let me know like talk to me especially if you're financially invested in the show yeah for fuck's sake i want to hear what you've got to say you know and instead of you just walking away i'm very curious you know as as to your thoughts on that or you know on anything going on with the show and with sovereign tech i i again i really do take it very seriously so regardless, uh, enough of that. Why don't we get into some of our questions and we, we've got some interesting ones we're gonna there's like four of them i want to try and get to so the first one is actually in response to uh, part of what came up during um, the, the Sovereign Tech Prime episode this past week, where we were talking about Dark Caracal, which is ending up being a very serious, I mean, like people are really freaking out about this. Again, there's not much that anybody can do and you need to be targeted for it to really be an issue, but it's a genuine issue that doesn't, you know, doesn't like have a readily available solution to it. Other than being incredibly particular in what you download, how you download it, not trusting alternative stores, you know, app stores and things like this. Uh, and so somebody had asked or a few people actually had asked, like, OK, but then where do we go to get what, what are known as APKs, which are the, you know, it's the Android version of a Windows EXE file, right, of an XE. OK, uh, where do you get these APKs? Now, like I said, you know, if, if you want to be really cautious, you don't turn on, you don't hit the checkbox in your settings on your Android device that would allow for third party apps to get installed in the first place. OK, that's if, I mean, but there's disadvantages that come with that, of course, um, especially if, say, like you're running a lineage OS phone or things like, or, you know, or things like that, um, which lineage OS, I mean, we'll it's still debatable how you exactly even solve Dark Caracal. Like, really? Um, so I don't know that even even though usually Lineage OS has a really fast response time in plugging a lot of these or, you know, solving a lot of these exploits and bugs and everything else, um, I don't know how much they can really do about it. So, again, the you know, what you need to do is due diligence on making sure you know exactly what you're downloading, and, you know, and, and why and from where and all this. Uh, the best place really to go. If you're not going to go through an app store and there, look, there's challenges that come along with this. OK. The best place to go if you're not going to even use like F-Droid. And there's a chance that something put up in F-Droid could be infected with Dark Caracal. I mean, that's that's not that's not impossible at all. OK. Um, you know, if you're not going to use F-Droid, if you're not going to use the Google Play Store, the place you can go, it's APKMirror.com. 
And so apkmirror.com, I put I put it in the show notes for this episode for this uh, Patreon Q&A. Um, but that's about the best place to get all those things. Now, some apps you can download without having the Google Play Store installed. Some apps you cannot do that or it's not really the Google Play Store, but more particularly the Google Play services that come with the store. Um which are a bunch of uh, library files, effectively, that, that some apps require um, to function, you know, independently. Uh, Signal required them for the longest time, and it was just the, the biggest insult. But really, Open Whisper Systems has done a great job of solving a lot of that. Because in, the, in 2017, they released um, the independent desktop client, which, right move, you know, they got it removed from the Chrome browser. And they also released, I think this is either in 2016 or 2017, there is the website where you can directly download um, Signal, the Signal app, to your, to, your smart, you know, to your Android phone from Open Whisper Systems' own servers, uh, which is about the best way to go as far as that goes. Uh, you could also download it from APK Mirror if you need to, but I don't, I actually, you know, and I, maybe I need to test this, and I should have thought of this before I was saying, or before I uh, hit the mic, Um I don't know if the standalone version of Signal that you download from Open Whisper Systems directly, if that APK is the same one that you would get, say, from APK Mirror or the same one that you would get technically from the Google Play Store. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Uh, so something uh, something to keep in mind. But APK Mirror is is far and away the best place uh, and, you know, the most reputable, I should say, the most reputable place to get independent um, apps you know, for, for Android. And that's really for Android only. Uh, you know, as far as we know, dark Heracal doesn't even bother iPhones. So that's, you know, make of that, uh, what you will. So, I mean, it's an old problem that we've talked about is that when you are reliant upon a, an app store for distribution, you know, you kind of, you, you can lose some degree of control. Um, now, the Google Play Store, as far as we know, wasn't infected or, you know, apps in the Google Play Store were not infected by Dark Caracal. But it, it still kind of proves the point that if you if you generally rely on the App Store, all it takes is for some, you know, alphabet soup organization, you know, some government agency to tell Google, OK, you put our version of the app in your store and you let it ride. You know, and when you can't independently verify, you can't do your own checksums and everything, you know, whatever else it, I mean, you can, if you, you, you actually can, if you know what you're doing. But the fact is, is that most people just don't operate that way. Okay. When they're messing with their mobile device. Um, and for me, it just speaks more to, and, and maybe we'll actually get into this in the, in the next question or the next couple questions. Uh, for me, it's, it really it really speaks to why I think we got to stop relying on our mobile phones so much. Um, there were a million stories that came out this week. I mean, and it seems like there's a million stories like this that come out every week where, you know, Oh, Google's tracking everything you do, everything you do, your mobile phone is tracking everything you do, blah, blah, blah. And like, I mean, everybody knows, you know, talk about these exploits like dark Caracal and everything else, all you want, you know, but, the amount of data that Google's collecting on, you know, uh, on you outright and without any kind of like actual, you know, uh, uh, security exploit or something like that, you know, doesn't seem to bother anybody. It's like, well, the concern is with Dark Caracal or something, you know, somebody could, could steal your data and all that stuff. You know, Google's stealing your data all day long. Nobody thinks about it. Apple's doing it, too. Don't, uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. So is Microsoft. 
So it's one of those things where really, you know, I, I, I can't stress this enough. I really think for, not, you know, not just for your privacy, not just for your security, um, not just to give a fuck you to, you know, to the social engineers in Silicon Valley. Okay. But even for your own sanity, for your own genuine mental health, getting away from, you know, or, you know, putting smartphones in their place, not letting them dominate your lives and everything. I just, I think is a great idea and relying more upon your desktop and hell, maybe, you know, maybe rock with Linux or something. I, I, look, if you use windows, use windows. I use windows often enough. I, I know the deal. Okay. Apparently I've, I don't know. In fact, the, the fact that I've used that I use windows, even a little bit, I don't know if that's what caused me to lose patrons recently because I did that one episode about all the windows software that I use. And then suddenly I lost like three or four patrons. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm telling you software you can use in a windows machine. Uh, something that I got asked about by patrons and people leave like again, a windows machine is not my only machine. You know, I'm as, I'm as open source and, you know, purebred in that world as, as you can imagine, whatever. Anyway. Um, so where was I with that? Yes. Okay. So there you go. That's what you want to use this APK mirror. I'd love if we lived in a world where we were independently downloading apps and maybe not even using the thousands, hundreds and thousands of apps available out there, you know, and just using what we really needed, you know, but whatever that that's not going to be for everybody. And that's fine you know, whatever, do, do your thing. Okay. I'm just putting out recommendations there based upon the stories that, that we hear, you know, I thought was really interesting. Like a couple of weeks ago on a, on the security now podcast, which is my favorite podcast, by the way, uh, Steve Gibson was talking about, he says like his phone is off of the charger, maybe like an hour or two a day. And that's it. He says, otherwise it just sits on the charger. I think he, I think he was implying that he has the mindset that I'm, that I've been talking about for some time where, you know, if his smartphone just sits on a charger somewhere, he's barely using it. He's barely touching it. Now, granted, he's an older guy, you know, but, uh, I, I think he's got it on, you know, like, I, I mean, and I know he has an iPad and other things. He talks about that. Um, but I, I think, I think he was sort of hinting at the fact that the phone stays in its place, like literally stays in its place. It doesn't leave a wall charger except for maybe in the morning when he goes out to Starbucks. And that's very interesting to me. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just something to think about. It's something I'm putting out there as a recommendation. Um, I really, I am in, in a very real sense scared to death. I mean, well, not scared to death, but you get my point that, you know, these, this distraction technology is, I mean, wow, you know, (laughs) it's just melting our abilities and our brains, you know, not, not like physically exactly, but yeah. So, all right, uh, let's get on to another question here. I think I'm actually, I'm going to skip around on these. Um, next one, another tech tech question. Got a couple here. Uh, you mentioned maybe a year back that Chrome scan for viruses when opening PDF files, do you know if Firefox provides the same protection? I try not opening PDFs on my Windows machine, but sometimes no way around it. Thanks. Um, okay, so yeah, so Chrome does scan for viruses and just about anything that it downloads or that it caches, uh, including PDFs. Firefox, as far as I know, and I did look into this before recording uh, a little bit more, as far as I know, does not scan PDFs for viruses. However, 
Firefox now, newer versions of Firefox actually sand like they partially sandbox off tabs um, and the browser itself from the rest of the operating system. Okay, Uh, so like the tabs are kind of sandboxed from each other. I mean, it's almost to the point that that, I mean, this is part of the reason that Chrome uses so much system or part of the reason why they use so much system resources is because each tab is its own uh, process and each tab and, and Chrome itself is largely um, you know, sandboxing everything. Firefox is starting to do the same thing. Uh, and it's something they'll probably be continually developing, you know, I don't know for how long and what eventually it'll all look like. Microsoft Edge is actually doing the same thing too, where Microsoft Edge is uh, is sandboxed. In fact, it's not just sandboxed, like it's getting enterprise versions of Edge. I don't know if they're putting this into the I haven't heard if they have put this into more consumer versions of, of Windows 10. Um, but edge is actually getting run in like a VM, like in a light VM. And that's, I mean, that's as secure, almost as secure as you can get outside of the fact that it's windows, you know, uh, but that's the right move. So Firefox, I think you can feel a little more secure with the PDFs just because the tabs are being sandboxed off from everything else or, or like half hybrid sandboxed off. It's kind of hard. It's, it's a little tough to explain how exactly that works, but um, but that's a new feature, you know, that's like new as of maybe like the one version before it was like version 56 of Firefox before Firefox quantum. Um, and so, yeah, I think you can open PDFs, you know, in that if, if, uh, if you really want to. Um, but I, I totally understand you want to be very cautious with PDF files. I mean, I think it's been a while since anybody tried any kind of like, you know, any kind of injection attacks or any kind of exploits through PDFs. There was a while where it was very commonplace. I mean, it was an ugly situation. Um, but yeah, I would feel fairly confident opening it in Firefox. Now there was a, like two years ago, there was a major exploit in, in Firefox, Firefox's opening of PDFs and, uh, but they they've closed that off now too. So, yeah, I I think I think you're okay as 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 far as that goes, and mainly because of that sandboxing that Firefox is engaging in now. Um, of course, you know on Windows, my favorite uh, not that it's a sandboxed app, but my favorite PDF um, or my favorite uh, PDF piece of software, which I talked about in the special that I mentioned earlier that. I don't know if that's what made me lose patrons or what. I, I just, I possibly, I absolutely cannot imagine why that episode caused that. But whatever. In that, I mentioned uh, Sumatra PDF, which is my personal favorite. The developer is just fantastic. Uh, the other thing to consider too, especially if it's a Windows 10 machine, you cannot get rid of Microsoft Edge. And Microsoft Edge does a great job of scanning for viruses. And again, it is a completely sandboxed app, you know, because it's UWP. Uh, you know, from everything else. And so that might be your best way actually to look at PDF files. Um, I also think it's a great way security wise to look at EPUBs, which EPUB, you know, book files are effectively zip files. You know, I haven't heard of anybody like pulling any stunts with EPUB files, but I don't exactly see why you couldn't. So you'd want to open that in a secure environment as well. And Edge is for all intents and purposes on a Windows computer is a very secure uh, environment, you know, for a Windows computer, of course. Um, So maybe maybe that's something you want to look at. If we're talking Windows 10, if it's Windows 7, you know, obviously you can't do that. But if it's Windows 10, yeah, I I would go ahead and and maybe, you know, maybe, uh, I mean, because you can set the, uh, 
you know, you can set open to, right? You can right click on it and you can set, what do you want to open these files with? You can set EPUBs and, and PDFs to open with edge. And that's actually the default behavior for windows 10 now. Um, as like, as of the creators update, or uh, I don't even think it was the fall creators update. It was just the creators update that that's been the, uh, the default, uh, uh, behavior. So that's something to consider, uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, definitely a great idea, even though I think it's been a while since anything like this had been done, uh, a great idea to be very cautious with PDFs because there can be so much rich content in there and that could eventually lead to exploits just by like clicking into a field and trying to type something. In. I mean, it, it could really get ugly. Um, Okay, so let's see uh, what other questions we have here. All right, so now this is, uh, this was depressing to read. Um, This got sent in to me. There's actually a couple stories that got sent in to me. I think one of them I might end up talking about more on a Sovereign Tech Prime episode, which had to do with the um, fitness trackers revealing military bases. Okay, you know, you know what? I, I can talk about that here. Then we'll get into the depressing story, which has to do with BSD. Um, the the story with the fitness trackers. Let me just break it down very simply for you. Okay, uh, like anything that actually, it it's it's stupid what happened. It's crazy what happened. You know, and because the military was paying for these fitness trackers to be worn, you know, as part of like health insurance for you know service members and everything. Um. This is the basic gist of the story. I can put the link in the show notes if you want to, if you really want to read more about it. Um, part of the problem was, is that, or, or part, part of what, what's odd about this is that the idea was, is that, okay, you had these mili- these service guys who were running around their bases, you know, they're working out, right? And that data on their fitness tracker was getting sent to the company that uh, produced the fitness trackers, okay? And it wasn't Fitbit. But that data was also being more or less publicly made available. Now, what was going on with that is that that effectively was releasing very or relatively precise data as to where certain military bases were, uh, U.S. military bases all over the place, you know, around the world, in the U.S., etc. Now, this really isn't a big deal. Okay, and and I'll for a couple of reasons, and I'll explain why. All right, I mean, it shows government stupidity. Like this, this should not have passed um, any you know any security protocol sniff test. It just shouldn't have. They should have known that this is exactly what would happen. But it just goes to show how dumb governments are and how little these you know like say that the NSA talks to the army or that the CIA talks to the army, etc. You know where you think there's all these brilliant people when maybe they're not so much. Um. The so I guess the only way this would actually be a concern, because, you know, where the military bases are like they're generally not hidden. The main concern would be is that if there is a military base that you don't or that that is claims to be closed and inactive, this could potentially show that, oh, actually, no, there are people at this military base. What's the deal here? You know, but that's that's very rare that that sort of thing happens. The other thing is, is that. Those same fitness trackers do not work in a lot of environments within a military base because there is, shall we say, radio blanketing, meaning that, you know, no radio signals are getting out of those areas of that base. So it's not like you're going to find out, oh, what's going on in Area 51 or something like that. Uh, No fucking way, because all of this, you know, all of this shit is I mean, you're in, in fact, they even showed it on the maps like there's these big black spots. And that's because. Those radio signals, you know, what or whatever data being collected and everything like it's just not getting out of the base, 
you know, that's, that's not, that's not happening uh, with that fitness tracker, you know, and like Bluetooth is getting shut off and all this different stuff. Not that they're just like transmitting willy nilly or anything. Uh, but you know, you're really not finding out anything, anything too interesting with this stuff. So yeah, like it's dumb on the government's part, no doubt about it, but it's not as like life threatening to, or as, uh, as, as, um, threatening to the security of the U S government and the military and all that, as I think a lot of stories were, were making the claim out to be okay. Um, you know, there's just, okay. As as a veteran, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, there are points within these bases, within just, just about any military base, but within most of them, I'll just say that where, that kind of shit absolutely would not get through, you know, like, like no matter how hard something was tried, it's, it's just, it, it, it's not happening. Okay. So while, yeah, this is a flub and it's, I don't think it's like as bad as everybody's making it out to be, but, and look, obviously I'm not a supporter of the military at all. Um, but you know, when, when it really counts, no, no, there's there's not going to be any kind of data leakage like that. Not not at all. I mean, I, I've talked about this, like the story of how Edward Snowden supposedly got out so much of the data, you know, leaked data that he got out is very sketchy to me just because I know what those border or what those uh, um, checkpoints, I should say, what those checkpoints within military bases um, and even contractor bases uh, or, or, you know, like mainly contractor run parts of bases. Um, I know what those checkpoints look like and good fucking luck that you're sliding anything out through that. Like it, it it's just not happening. So yeah, it, like I said, this is, it, it was stupidity with the whole tracker thing, but at the same time, like it's not, you know, nothing was getting revealed to the level that I think uh, journalists wanted you to believe. So let's get to this bit of depressing business. Uh, <laughs> this is from CSO magazine. Um, I, oh boy. Uh, (laughs) Basically, this is a write-up. The story is, are the BSDs dying? Some security researchers think so. Too few eyeballs on code is a security issue as vulnerabilities go unreported and unpatched. Can FreeBSD, OpenBSD, and NetBSD survive? Oh boy. So, okay. BSD. I am a huge fan. Um, I mention open BSD, particularly whenever I can. Um, I also enjoy free BSD. Uh, I've enjoyed it on, uh, one of the raspberry Pis. Um, it does a great job there. Uh, net BSD. I never really messed much with net BSD, which net BSD is more of a, like, that's more for the trying to make BSD available for the average user. Um, I, I've messed around with ghost BSD. In fact, I used to be a patron for ghost BSD, but I, I stopped being a patron and I hate to say it. I stopped being a patron partly because of the very thing that this article is talking about. Now I'm not going to read the article, but I do want to talk about it a bit. And the point that it's making is that look great that BSD is really secure and all this, but there's just not enough developers looking at BSD. Nobody's really caring. Uh, you know, and everybody's just spending their time on Linux looking at Ubuntu or, De- or you know, or Debian or something like that. Right. Uh, or maybe even Fedora. But even that's. Ooh. Um, yeah, I I'm a little annoyed at this. So 
BSD and Linux, I mean, they're both Unix based operating systems. You know, Unix is kind of the, the OG operating system. It's not the only one, but you know, it's what everybody got excited about, especially when it, you know, when it opened up. Um, and I've been using OpenBSD for a long, long, long time. Um, it's still one of my, I mean, well, it's still my favorite OS overall. Uh, no, I can't do everything on it that I do, say, on a Windows computer. Um, it's not a great gaming machine by any means. Um, you know, I mean, there's all those little issues, and, and, and I, I, I get it. I understand why the average person isn't going to end up using it. But... Um, I'm still, you know, just such a huge fan because it is generally so secure, um, especially OpenBSD, which has, you know, in comparison to FreeBSD or NetBSD or GhostBSD, you know, while the development communities around those are, you know, perhaps thin, meaning there's not much and they're not keeping, you know, I mean, you can have all the secure code in the world, but if nobody's there to keep verifying and checking on it and looking for bugs, who cares? And that's kind of the point that this, this article was making. Um, OpenBSD has like really hardcore, like myself, has very hardcore enthusiasts, you know, that are like, no, everything runs off of OpenBSD. This is what I want, you know, and then like, and these guys who've been around for a long time um, are constantly checking that code. Debian has a similar degree of like very hardcore, very serious uh, enthusiasts, which is why I think a lot of Linux, uh, other Linux distributions don't mind basing off of Debian because they feel so confident in the eyeballs that are on Debian's code, you know, on the code base. Um, so the, this is, I understand what this article was saying, you know, and, and I gave you the basic gist and it, it just, it kind of makes the point saying that, look, you know, people aren't using it. People aren't, you know, people aren't checking the code. And so this is a real problem. Um, now I did listen to security now about this as well which I'm guessing is why the person emailed me with it. Uh, but, you know, Steve Gibson said, you know, maybe we only, and he's a free BSD fan. I'm not, you know, I'm not even really a free BSD. I mean, I like it, but I, you know, I'm not a free BSD fan. Like I said, I use open BSD whenever I'm, I'm messing around with BSD. Uh, you know, he was saying that he felt, you know, maybe there's just not, maybe in the open source movement, there's not enough developers. There's not enough coders. There's not enough eyeballs to allow for two different major operating system structures, you know, to allow for BSD and Linux. Maybe there can only be one. Maybe there's only enough people to concentrate on one, that being Linux. You know, and that could be true, but boy, that's really, I mean, and I, I'm not, I would not begin to debate, you know, Steve Gibson on, on that matter. I mean, I, I would debate him on philosophy sometimes, but, you know, as far as like the technicals go, I mean, the guy, you know, he, he's, he's a personal hero. Um, I get his point. I just, I really hope that doesn't end up being true, but I get the sense that it's going to be like, you know, I can even think because understand I've been messing around with these operating systems, Linux and BSD based ones, you know, for most of like really most of my life, you know, I remember the first time, um, it wasn't, wasn't even PC gamer. I think it was PC world when in the nineties, this would have been like the, the early nineties back with my 486 uh, machine. It came with a, you know, this is back when those things, when, uh, when those magazines would come with like CD-ROMs and everything in them. And I remember when it came with, um, you know, when it, when it came with like this, this one disc that there's this one CD-ROM that just had a ton of, uh, uh, demos effectively of distributions of like Linux, you know, it's like, oh, here's the, this is the operating system you didn't know was coming, you know? And, and I mean, Linux had been around before then, but 
you know, this was a, a degree of it trying to hit, you know, mainstream. It also came with a BOS, which is B-E-O-S. That was going to be like another operating system uh, that didn't end up exactly taking off, unfortunately, because I installed that, too. And holy shit, that was that was nuts at the time. Uh, the way, you know, it's it, it's kind of a multi-process structure that it had was just, whoa, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, and then there's the people that still love OS2 Warp. But anyway, so it's the the amount of operating systems out there honestly have been slowly degrading the forums, the, you know, the avenues with the IRC channels, the avenues within which that, that developers and enthusiasts for these other operating systems, like say FreeBSD, OpenBSD and others. It's not like everybody's going to Facebook. That's, that's, that's really not what's going on. Okay. Uh, it's that people really are falling away and they're either just going to Linux, you know, and maybe they're running Ubuntu or hell, they might even be running Slackware though. I've seen that community drop significantly. Um, I mean, this does appear to be like this. This article is, you know, bringing up the writing on the wall, you know, like it's it's pointing at it saying, hey, take a look. You know, this is what's going on. And I, I hate to admit it. And it wasn't until like somebody really wrote it down, like in this article that I that I realized, oh, shit. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> you know, and it, the article does say that if any of them is going to survive, it'll actually. And this article is from like January 25th of this year of 2018. Um. It does admit that if any of them is going to survive, it'll probably be OpenBSD because it does have such a, you know, like like hardcore fan base and enthusiast community around it. Like I said, I'm a part of it um, and have been forever. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just I'm annoyed. I want there to be there should be so many operating system options. It really should not just be three. You know, it should not be Linux, Windows, or Mac OS, which Mac OS itself is based off of BSD, or at least it used to have a lot more options as far as, you know, uh, BSD goes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but I mean, let, let's, let's be honest on that, right? Like Mac OS isn't what Apple really gives a shit about anymore. You know, they're all about iOS and I'm sure that day is coming where iOS is going to be the thing um, we talked about even with, with Microsoft, where or I think we talked about this last week on the Sovereign Tech Prime episode where, you know, they're switching over to Windows Core, right, which is a very different, really a very different code base than the Windows 10 that you're using right now. You know, it's a more adaptable one, but in some ways it's very limited and it's not really backwards compatible, which, again, I think I said in the episode, you know, Windows, the real appeal, in my opinion, to Windows and why so many people that or so many really brilliant people still use it is because it is just that fucking Swiss army knife. You know, it is that Swiss army knife of, of operating systems that just fucking runs anything. <laughs> it's really impressive. You know, I, you got to give credit where credit's due. Um, but you know, even that's going away, right? They're taking away that ability. It's ability to run on just about anything, you know? So, yeah, I, I mean, may, maybe this would end up good because, you know, is everybody just like switching over to Linux, people even leaving Windows, maybe even leaving Mac OS and so many people going to Linux? Is that like is that a good end result of losing BSD, of losing, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the more interesting aspects of Windows and things like this? I, I mean, I guess that argument could be made, but I don't know. That's really sad because, you know, like when you I remember, especially back in the 90s. 
Like, in fact, I think I was installing Slackware and all that. And when you start mess, messing around with it and like even the commands, you know, you're, you're coming up with a, with a command line. And the commands are different from even DOS because DOS was still, you know, kind of a major deal at the time. And what, like it was so exciting, you know, like you had to completely relearn how you interact with a computer in a very real way. And it made computing alone. Fuck playing games. I mean, playing games is great, obviously. You know, I love being a gamer. Um, But, you know, fuck playing games. Fuck doing any of that shit. But just, like, learning, like, having fun seeing what a new operating system, like, a totally new operating system could do. Uh, That, you know, that was exciting. That made computing alone really exciting. And I feel bad that that that's kind of going away, right? And... I don't even think like all these, you know, remixes and, and different Linux distros and everything. It doesn't really give you the same feeling, you know, even choosing a different GUI like, oh, you know, well, I could try KDE or I could try, you know, XFCE or, uh, you know, LXD or you know, if I just want to run GNOME or Mint or whatever, you know, whatever the fuck you want to use. Even that, like, that's a very superficial change in how a computer functions in my opinion i mean i know kde is like very different from just about anything else but still yeah i don't know it's it's just it's depressing to to read that i don't really have a solution i'm not telling everybody to go start to go out and start learning bsd i i I would not i wouldn't say that for a second if anything i don't know you know you use ubuntu or something if you're really asking me i mean cubes os is great i love cubes os that's like a new way of uh, securing a yeah it, it's a new way of securing the operating system in a very real sense and securing what you do uh, I think that there could be more efficient ways of going about that you know than just like sandboxing every process but for right now sure it's it's probably the best thing going you know cubes OS is awesome um, but yeah I just I, I would really like to see I mean, this is, yeah, this is just, this has been, I, I feel like I'm rambling. This has been a problem for a long time. Okay. Uh, for a while, like in the aughts in the later aughts, especially when tablet, com- people thought tablet computers were going to be the next big shit. Like you had HP saying they were going to come out with their own operating system. You had all these different companies saying they were all going to come out with their own operating system. Of course, what you found out was no, really, they were just going to come out with their own skin version of Linux. You know, they're going to come out with their own Linux distro. And I kept saying, it's like, you know, that's not exciting at all. It's like, come out with a totally new operating system. And I know there's some of those, you know, React OS, there's Redox, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's based on Rust. You know, I just, I hope that those those projects don't fall away. We, we don't, I, I'm, as much as you can modify Linux and everything, I still feel like that if everybody's just using Linux, it'd really kind of be a monoculture. And you, and I say this all the time, you don't want a monoculture in anything. Um, but... Yeah. Okay. I mean, if that's, if that's what it comes down to, as long as people are choosing, you know, Linux, you know, if you're leaving BSD for fuck's sake, don't go to windows or or Mac, you know, please go to Linux. Yes. Uh, but anyway, that, that's my thoughts on that. Yes. I can see this happening. Yes. I can see BSD going away. Um, can I see advantages to everybody jumping on Linux? Sure. I can see some advantages to it, but at the same time, there's a lack of excitement. Um, and, and again, that's going to feel like a mono, a monoculture. And then there's really, you know, the Linux kernel can very much become a single point of failure. Sure. It's open source to help prevent from a lot of that happening. And you have, you know, great developers working on that all the time, but yeah, still very, you know, very concerned when you, when, when, you know, everybody's kind of riding off the same kernel. I, 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 I like a lot of diversity, 
you know, I like it. I like biodiversity. I like tech diversity, operating system diversity. I like diversity all over the place. So there you go. That's that's uh, that's my thoughts on that. I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes or the link for that story and you can read it there. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and this this leads to the point that, you know, I wish everybody would learn to code and and. Granted, it's tough, you know, not to say just because you learn how to code that somehow you look at code and you know what good code is or that you become, a, you know, an instantaneously great bug finder or something. Uh, I'm not claiming that at all, but I, I'd really hate for these things to go. Uh, I mean, even FreeBSD. In fact, you know, the, the one point that kind of stands against this, amazingly, the third edition of the guide to FreeBSD is coming out, I think, in the next couple months. I mean, this is a major, major revision and update. I don't know if maybe that can help stem the tide because it can show people how to use the more modern versions, like after version 10, where there was a major, major revision to, to FreeBSD. Um, I don't know if that's going to help out with it. You know, uh, I love everything that No Starch Press puts out, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you must, if you're really tired of BSD, you know, and you're a listener of this show, by all means, you know, yeah, go to Linux. Um, I can't picture a BSD person saying they're going to go to Windows. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> Not that arguments can't be made for going to Windows, because if you want to, like, you know, get into... Uh, you know, creative media, I think that Windows is absolutely the place where that happens. It's not happening so much on Mac anymore. Not the next level creative media, in my opinion. But anyway, all that's still shaping up. We're in a very transitional time with a lot of this stuff. And and this, this story about, you know, perhaps the demise of BSD it, uh, really points at that as well. I mean, BSD is always going to kind of be there. But as far as it being like part of the, you know, like, more not so much corporations using it and maybe small businesses or individuals and other things that's really where it's falling apart i mean there's some things that have been running bsd forever especially a lot of government servers and whatever else that you know they're not going anywhere you know those are going to run until you know they literally die and even then it's debatable whether or not you know they'll let them die i mean the government the u.s government alone spends i think it's literally up to billions of dollars in paying for specialized rebuilds and manufacturing of very limited runs of like 50, 60 year old technology, you know, or at least 30 or 40 year old technology because they don't want to replace that. They don't want to update. They just want the old shit to keep working and they will pay the companies. I mean, I, you know, I, I worked at a tech company, um, par that had government contracts and not just even for government, but there, there were, there were whole companies, whole corporations that would pay out of their nose just to have like older model systems, uh, you know, like to, to buy the parts that, I mean, parts that have long been out of stock, long been out of production, but they, they would pay the premium to get them back into manufacturing. I mean, like I, I'd see it happen on a daily basis nearly. It was, it was crazy. So, I mean, it's so, it, it's so wasteful. You know, there's just an argument, argument to be made for using old hardware, but not like this. <laughs> I mean, there gets to a point where it's like, okay, no, the infrastructure needs to be thrown out, you know, uh, but anyway, I'm getting off track. So let's get on to another question here. Now, funny thing, this question actually, uh, this question also, so this question is about Blu-ray players. Um, I got asked also on Twitter about what Blu-ray player I was talking about, uh, or Blu-ray burner that could burn M discs that I was talking about a few episodes ago on Sovereign Tech Prime. Um, so it was just kind of funny that that both of these que- your, you know, two questions came out kind of about the same thing. But I guess it points at what this person's asking because they're saying, uh, Stallion, you've been talking a lot about Blu-rays lately. Do you have a particular player that you uh, that you appreciate? 
And, you know, and like, and it, and it kind of goes on from there asking about some of that stuff. Um, so yeah, there is, so the, the M disc drive that I mentioned, okay. Uh, if I think of it, I can put the, the link in the show notes for that, which I already gave out on Twitter. Um, and of course, you know, anytime I give out like a product or something for Amazon or, you know, that's available, I, I put it through an affiliate link if I can. So just be aware of that. And it's the sex and science, Hour uh, affiliate link. Um, the best Blu-ray player that I could find, and I, I kind of have gotten back into Blu-rayers, blu, Blu-rayers. <laughs> I have gotten back into Blu-rays, uh, Blu-rayers. Boy, that's that's going to be like a baseball team or something um, lately. And there's a few different reasons for this. Um, one of the reasons in particular that I've gotten back into Blu-rays, it's not because of like the 4K thing. I don't I don't give a shit about 4K. Um, and that, that's not a new statement for me. I've been saying that for years on this show. Uh, one of the things is that really the, the, I think I said this in the, when I was talking about Blu-rays recently as well, or when I was talking about the Blu-ray players, maybe I was talking about it at some point. I know recently I was talking about this. The pirate community has severely like tapered off. Okay. There's still plenty of people doing it, but the amount of people that are uploading, say, you know, copies of the latest movie release or something, I mean, it, it really has tapered off. And a lot of a lot of the ones out there are just copycats. There's not a lot of independent parties, you know, uh, engaging in this and like ripping movies and uploading them to the Pirate Bay or something, you know, or whatever your favorite torrent site is. Uh, and there seems to be an overall lack of quality control, in my opinion. And one of the major areas where there's a problem is in the encoding of or the lack of encoding of subtitles when they are a natural part of the film. For example, Rocky Four. OK, whenever Ivan Drago talks in Russian because he barely speaks English in the movie, whenever he talks in Russian, there are subtitles that come up to explain what the hell he's saying. Like he's saying Rocky, you know, he's he's not a, he's not a, a human. He's a piece of iron. Right. Uh, or he's when he's saying, yes, vineyard. Yes, right. He's saying for me um, now in some of the best quality and top downloads that you can make of that movie, you know, on torrent sites, they forgot to encode the fucking subtitles and the subtitle track doesn't come with it independently or the subtitle track just runs 24 seven on it. And I mean, it just, it kind of ruins the, the movie watching experience. Now for me, most of these movies I more or less have memorized anyway. And so it wouldn't necessarily be that big of a deal for me, but if I want to share it with people, uh, it kind of sucks. Also, um, I have for a long, long time. Um, my mindset had been for probably about the past decade, is that like, I usually only watch shit. Okay. All right. So I, I got to give you a little bit of history here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the history is that like back when I first got a, when, when iPods first came out with video, okay. Or not, not when they first came out with it, but when it became a little more prevalent, this would be 2006, 2007, maybe around there with the later generation of the full blown iPod, like the iPod classic where it got into the fifth, sixth, seventh generation of that. Uh, they started to allow for video to get played on those. And I thought that that was just dynamite. Like the idea that I could fucking watch shit on that little screen and have it with me at all times. I mean, it made me think of when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, a, we were constantly being told that we would have TVs on our watches that never happened. Um, and B you had, uh, you had Walkman TVs like, you know, what a Walkman is the Sony Walkman, which is, you know, one of the most popular brand names of all t- or uh, 
product names of all time. You know, Sony, of course, is a popular brand name, obviously. But uh, Walkman itself was a very popular you know, name. And they came out with uh, TVs, Walkman TVs, effectively, which were these. It was a very weird setup where like you weren't actually watching the screen so much. It was based upon like this mirror. It would unfold like a clamshell. It almost looked like a Nintendo DS, but it was a television. OK, and they had this gigantic ass antenna on it. I mean, it was just. It was crazy. So I had one of those when I was a kid, and I thought it was the coolest damn thing in the world that you could wirelessly watch television, you know, on something operated by battery power. Um, obviously, that didn't exactly take off. But when the iPod suddenly had video for it, and then there was also like the iPod Nano. What was it, like the fourth or fifth generation iPod Nano, where it could even record video? It had the little camera on it, and it had like that Terminator vision, uh, like a filter, a video filter that that looked like the Terminator, you know, like, like Arnold, what he would see with the red and like all the, the little you know, letters and everything going across all the data going across the screen. That was so cool, you know, but I I was like, Oh, this is so great. I could have all of this shit with me at all times. And I could watch it anytime I wanted, just pop on my headphones and away I go. Okay. So different time. And and look, we're still at the moment, like netbooks hadn't been a thing yet. We're still at the moment where laptops are still more or less pretty bulky. Okay. And their battery life still sucked. You know, it it wasn't today where now laptops can replace just about anything, you know, any electronic device that you can imagine. Um, or, I mean, you know, laptops have been that way for a few years now. But back in 2007 and a little after that, uh, before we got into the 20 teens, you know, that that wasn't necessarily the case. OK, so, you know, having an iPod that could do this, I mean, that that was that was amazing, you know, and also like at work, you know, it's just a little iPod. You could have it sitting on a stand. Nobody would know what the hell you were doing. You know, it was, it was really great. Okay. And so, uh, also at the time, you know, then even when the smartphones started coming out and everything, it wasn't that big a deal. Bottom line being is that I started encoding a lot of my movie collection and TV series collection and everything else. And, and of course there was plenty, you know, at the time that the piracy scene was, you know, at its height, and so you could download anything you could imagine. And I was like re-encoding everything to like 320 by 240 or like 640 by 480 if it was, you know, four by three, depending upon what, you know, what uh, uh, aspect ratios you needed. But it was all very low resolution stuff. Um, and because I was like, well, that'll take up less space. I can actually hold it on the iPod or even on the, say, the Android smartphone later on. And I... You know, I was wanting all of my shit because I was planning on, you know, moving and traveling again. You know, I wanted everything to be more pocketable and portable. Okay, So I encoded all my shit like really, 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 really far down. Uh, And and but now now that it's not just me, first off, a I'm not just watching it on a laptop, which it was barely passable to watch it on a laptop at that point. If you have like a 1080p screen. You know, I mean, the, the resolution, I mean, I can live with poor resolution, but some things are like really bad. Like I was watching uh, Dune the other night with uh, with Stephanie and, and, you know, and a great friend and um, like the oh, and it just it struck me. I was like, oh, fuck, I wish I had the Blu-ray of this because because it, it looks so bad on our TV and our TV is only like 720p even. Like, I don't even think that the, or yeah, I'm fairly certain it's not even like a 1080p screen, which is fine. But it's just, you know, the copy that I had just looks so rough and everything. And Blu-rays now are so inexpensive and there's so few. What, what I've come to realize also, there's actually so few movies that I really want, would watch over and over and over again now, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. OK, um, that, yeah, you know, like I, a small selection of Blu-rays. I can live with that, you know, and again, they are so inexpensive now. Well, like, why, why not? Uh, 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, recently I've gotten back into, you know, messing around with the Blu-ray player. The other nice thing is, is that because we have, I mean, understand like Stephanie and I, we didn't even have a TV in the house for like five years. I mean, or like, and I don't think she ever had a TV in the house until, and she lived here years before, you know, I, I was living here as well. Um, so yeah, TV in the house wasn't a part of it. So we were watching everything on a laptop and it wasn't, you know, wasn't that big of a deal, but now we got a TV and everything. And, you know, to watch a lot of stuff that I still say download and, you know, and want to watch it, like maybe it's a one watch, you know, or it's like some series that's on TV, but we're not, you know, paying for TV or something. Um, you know, how do, how do we go about watching that? And oftentimes what will happen is, is that we'll, you know, we'll have to set up like a little, maybe a media PC or something, or I'll have to plug in my laptop and, you know, hook it up through the HDMI to the TV or whatever. But then I can't actually get work done if I need to on the laptop, uh, while we're say watching something. So I got to the point where I was like, you know what, let's get, let's get like a Blu-ray player that also happens to have like a USB port and that can watch, you know, where you can watch, uh, you know, it can read like MKV files and all this different stuff and everything. So it's not just about Blu-rays. It's also about being able to view any other content that we're, that I really want to throw at the television. And some TVs already have all this stuff built in, no doubt about it. Uh, so anyway, um, I did end up getting a Blu-ray player that could do that. It could play the Blu-rays. Um, the other thing about Blu-rays is like a lot of these, like, or the other thing that got me excited about Blu-rays was a lot of these independent productions that are being done, like Star Trek continues and others. Um, they are releasing like Blu-ray image or Blu-ray versions of their content that you can make yourself. And so that excited me quite a bit. Um, and, and that kind of got me on a little bit of a Blu-ray uh, kick too. But also, I mean, like a lot of the ways, you know, I was talking about this recently on a Star Trek update, like Star Trek, the motion picture. The only way you can get that properly is if you have the actual DVDs, fuck even the Blu-rays. The only way you can do it is if you have the two disc blue uh, DVD set you know, that you can watch it the proper way. So, I mean, and then just, you're not going to download it, you know, in, in the right and be able to, to view it necessarily in the right way. Maybe somebody has like the disc images up there, but that's another thing too. When, you know, to get like the quality that you want and maybe, you know, especially when you're sharing it with other people, like if you have to have, I mean, look, and I have an eight terabyte hard drive sitting right next to me and I have my NAS that has tons of storage on it. Okay. But if you have to download four gig, nine gig files and everything like that's where you just say, no, you know, what? I'm going to put it on a disc and have it sit in some binder, you know, and especially like if you have M disc and stuff like that, where, you know, it's practically indestructible and you're not running into the issues of, you know, the discs going bad and everything after so many years. I mean, why, why not take advantage of that technology? In my opinion, I, I don't see any reason not to. So, so I am, so I've gotten on board with, with Blu-rays, uh, you know, quite a bit, um, as late and I'm not the only one. Uh, I talk about this all the time. Who's the number one purchaser of Blu-rays in the world? Facebook, because that's how they store all your data. So, you know, who am I to argue with, uh, you know, a company, they obviously, you know, are putting, uh, their, their, their company on the line with Blu-rays. I'll put mine on the line. <laughs> um, Anyway, but I, I've been enjoying Blu-rays, uh, you know, lately. And Blade Runner 2049 was also was also another thing where it's like, yeah, yeah, that's not something I'm going to watch like that. That is such a pristine movie. I am not going to watch that, you know, in any any kind of lower quality. I want to see the I want to see it in the goods. Um, and, and there's some other movies that have come out recently where they're doing like uh, Black Eagle, where they did a Blu-ray release of the extended edition. And it's like the only way you can really get that. 
Um, so bottom line being is that, yep, eventually we got to the point where we said, okay, we're going to get a Blu-ray player and we're going to get something that, uh, you know, that can also do handle USB. And the one that I ended up getting, and I kind of future-proofed it, even though I never plan on getting a 4K television and I don't care about 4K DVDs. I mean, pretty much now when you buy, if you buy Blu-ray movies and I don't, I buy barely any, uh, like there's the Superman one, right? Um, but pretty much if you if you buy a Blu-ray movie today, you will get the 4K version of it and the original and the standard Blu-ray version of it in the same set. And you just pay one price. And, you know, with that thinking. So how about if we're getting a new Blu-ray player? Why don't we go ahead and get one that can do 4K Blu-rays just in case? You know, if, if we end up, uh, you know, needing that or who knows what the future holds um, or at least we can play the discs if that's all you can end up getting is 4K discs in the future. Uh, and so the model, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's the LG UP 870. That is that is the model. Now, this thing, there's what some people might consider one or two flaws to it. And I'll describe what those are. OK, but this thing, you can throw fucking anything at it. You can throw 3D Blu-rays at it. Um, it will upconvert DVDs to 4K. Um, you know, you can play your, you know, Ultra HD Blu-rays, you know, your 4K Blu-rays and everything. You can play all your stock Blu-rays. And I've thrown every Blu-ray I have at it, which was, if you remember my rant about Blu-rays in a recent Sovereign Tech Prime episode, you know, it was a real challenge finding software for, for my Windows computer that could actually play it. I mean, to say nothing of could Linux do it. Okay. Um, and, but this one, you know, and, and I haven't even connected this to the internet yet. That was part of the test here. Okay. I haven't even connected the up 870 to, to the internet, you know, for it to update its licenses or everything. It just plays everything fine. It's a dedicated machine. It does its job and it does it pretty damn well. Uh, when I plug in a USB drive to it, it, it reads everything on there and, you know, it can play an MKV file or an AVI or an MP4. It can play music. It can even look at photos. Not That's not anything new for Blu-ray players. I had a Blu-ray, a Samsung Blu-ray player, you know, 10 years ago that could do that. Uh, but, or well, almost 10 years ago, I guess maybe more like seven years ago, but whatever. Um, but, and it's not new that Blu-ray players can play, you know, media files as well. It's kind of new maybe that they have a USB port or it's not new, but I mean, that's, that's new for me anyway. Uh, and it just it just does the job like any disc I put on it, any movie file I throw at it, whatever. It just does it. It plays it. And it's great. And I mean, it's just it's absolutely flawless in how it does it. So the LG uh, up 870, that is my recommendation. If you're wondering about a great Blu-ray player, this one's kind of future proof. Now, the two potential flaws. One is if you do need to connect it to the Internet to get a firmware update or something, it only has an Ethernet port. It does not have Wi-Fi. I see that as a bonus. I don't want it to have a bunch of fucking radios. It doesn't need to connect Bluetooth. It doesn't need to connect to Wi-Fi. Okay, I don't need another device that that exploits things. I see that as a feature, not a bug. But I think some people would see that as a problem. That said, it also does not have like a built-in Roku, which is very popular for a lot of Blu-ray players, is for them to have a built-in or even like a built-in Android TV or something where you could, you know, put on channels and apps and all this other stuff. It has no apps, has none of that crap. This is, it does, you know, it has one job, play Blu-rays and, you know, whatever movie file that I throw at it. And it does it with aplomb. It, it is, it is stunning how good it looks and how, and I mean, it even has buttons on the front of it. Holy shit. Can you imagine that? I don't even have to use the remote if I don't really want to. Uh, it, very, very nice, uh, 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 you know, standalone device, standalone player. 
Um, I don't mind that it doesn't have a Roku built into it. The TV that we have already has a Roku built into it, so it wasn't like that was that big a deal. Uh, but I wouldn't have cared anyway. You know, uh, like ha- you know, getting on board with Blu-rays or even having a device that can just you know where you can connect via USB. Uh, or a USB drive to play files off of it or something, you know, you're really already saying that, hey, this is offline anyway. You know, you're, you're making a commitment to being offline and having offline storage of your of your media as it is. So, you know, not not having a Roku built in or not having Wi-Fi, totally fine with me. No problem. Um, and hopefully that solves some of what I talked about recently. I think it was on the Star Trek update where I talked about it, where I have concerns that I, I think that like with Wi-Fi connected uh, players like Blu-ray players and or anything else that those companies are collecting that data about what you're watching, even the Blu-ray discs that you're watching. Right. Because so many Blu-ray discs have that BD live feature um, that I, I think tells them exactly what you're watching and everything. So if this doesn't connect to the Internet, fucking great. You know, I, I think that that's like I said, that's a total bonus. Uh, so I recommend this thing all the way. I think it has every feature that at least I could want. Um, and it's fairly future proof. You know, and you can still do the firmware updates if you connect it to your to an Ethernet port. You, you know, you, you can do that. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. So that's the one that I recommend as far as that goes. Uh, the Pioneer M-Disc Blu-ray burner that I, I recommend, the link for that will be in the show notes as well. And, but you'll easily be able to tell the difference uh, between the two. And this is a new version of it, too. This is the 2018 model of the LG uh, Up 870 so or UP870. So, yeah, that, there's there's my recommendation as far as that goes. Uh, so, wow, we had compl- all tech questions throughout this entire Q&A, <laughs> which great. Um, please feel free to continue to send your questions. If you want to, though, some of you may want your questions to actually be answered on the Sovereign Tech Prime episodes now that that's an option. If you want that, you got to tell me. OK, let, like just try and let me know where you want the questions answered. Um I'll assume most people, especially if you contact me through Patreon, that that's where you want to know um, or that that's where you want it answered. But it helps me out if you let me know uh, where you want them answered. But do get in. We're getting a little low on 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 questions. So do don't hesitate to ask away and I will get to them as quickly as I can, Uh, especially like I said, questions, you know, patrons get get total express service here. Okay, (laughs) you know, I'm going to take care of you first, no doubt. So that's it for uh, for. Wow. This is like the last episode, I think, maybe of uh, of January uh, 2018. Been a hell of a month. A lot of stuff getting released towards the end. Of course, it always seems to work out that way, but we're going to shake things up. February is going to be really exciting. I've got a lot of stuff planned and a lot of things getting released. Uh, And so anyway, great times coming. So I will see you on the other side.